on, Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. Welcome to the uh, Party on John cast. I'm Reverend Sal Samarco. Uh, I ordained a teaching elder in the Presbytery of Newton, PC USA. He's so excited to be here, he can't even remember I his can't name. can't even remember my name. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm uh, Todd Laddick. I am an ordained elder in the greater in the United Methodist Church uh, in Greater New Jersey Conference, and I am serving uh, in the same town as, as uh, Sal, right up the hill, right up the road from him. So uh, the only higher ground he'll give me, but that indeed, is it is higher ground. Is. <laughs> He's still depraved. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> okay, so uh, now that I probably punctured your drums with my clap. Um, yeah, so we always start these wonderful um, uh, podcast episodes off with what we like to call the Hebrews segment. Yeah, Hebrews. So what are you drinking there, Sal? I am drinking uh, Tim Hortons uh, French Vanilla coffee. Ooh, we know that's good. It is very that's good. so good that I actually ran out and got some. Mm, smells so good. It smells. Yeah, I'm so actually. Good. Uh, I I am drinking Todd Supply because I've finished my supply. Amen. Uh, see, totally depraved. Yes. But I hooked you up. <laughs> he's still a good guy <laughs> still still a good guy uh even even as depraved as i am okay so um what are you drinking Todd? i'm drinking what they call uh no it's no surrender it's by the brand name is rev with two v's r-e-v-v no surrender it is uh bold dark roast kind of coffee and i think they're trying to say that it um, you know, it's highly caffeinated. I, I don't know if it's as, it's definitely not as high caffeination, caffeination. Yeah. It's not as highly caffeinated as death wish. Um, I think it's more just strong in flavor than it is highly caffeinated. In fact, it's got that, that Starbucks burnt kind burnt of taste, taste to taste. it, which tells me that they probably over roasted it, which means that there's less caffeine in it, but it's called rev no surrender. And it puts hair on your chest. Nice. Apropos that two revs are drinking, one of the two revs is drinking rev coffee. Amen. And we just cheer. Dear, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> it's, uh, one of these days you're going to hear. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, before, so this is good. Um, you know, reminiscent of Starbucks. But what I would say is that um, I just had something really, really interesting today before uh, coming here. Uh, I was at Starbucks and I walked in and thought maybe I entered the wrong building because it looked like a bar. They have like a, a, a tap and uh, actually they've got cold brew on tap and they've got a nitro cold brew on tap and then they've just got regular cold brew on tap. And I, of course, you know, me being the moderate Wesleyan had to go nitro and uh, and uh, got the nitro cold tap. Let me tell you. Starbucks has created what I can now officially call Methodist Guinness. <laughs> Very nice. I have not tried the uh, the Starbucks version. I have tried. There's a local uh, local coffee shop down the street from our uh, Allison and I's house that we try to try to go to when we can, and they have on tap a nitro brew, mm. and 
Yeah, as Todd is saying, it is smooth like Guinness. Yeah. Uh, very flavorful, does not taste overpowered, it just goes down so smooth. It's Guinness with a similar and different effect, right? It, it's Guinness in the sense that it will make you pee mm-hmm. over and over again. <laughs> yep, um, a lot. But it wakes you up instead of puts you to sleep. So, so it's, 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 it's just, it is definitely a Methodist brew. It is. Um, <laughs> though I don't know that Wesley would have been too happy with me drinking uh any kind of caffeinated beverage on tap because he thought caffeine wasn't all that good for your health. And as it turns out, he was probably right. Darn it. Boy, that's the, that 18th century guy knew more than he was ahead of his time, ahead <laughs> of his time. Uh, so that's awesome. Um, Hebrews. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> why? And we'll remind you why we call it the Hebrews. Cause why does God, why do we know that God loves coffee? Because he brews it. He does. Yep. Um, so that brings us to our next segment, which is our most excellent, most excellent metal, metal and or music, and or music. Uh, segment. Rock on. Rock on. So um, I guess I can start us off with this being that we are talking about an ever happy and uh uplifting uh topic such as total depravity in case you haven't already figured that out we are totally depraved okay uh so uh i decided that a really good song to bring up is yet again from demon hunter by the way i'll probably review more demon hunter songs than anything else because it's demon hunter Mm -hmm. but demon hunter has a song off of uh their extremist album called i will fail you and the song which again i will put into our message notes but the song uh, not message notes, uh, episode notes. Um, I'll put I'll put that in there. But the song itself is about the fact that people will often come up to Ryan Clark and say, "Oh, your music has had such an impact on my life. You've really you've really saved my life." Mm-hmm. Which, uh, on the one end, he's very thankful for, appreciative of. You know, it's, it feels good to to know that you've done something positive for somebody. But on the other <laughs> end, wait, I saved your life. Um, Dude, if you follow me, I will fail you. I will fail you. <laughs> I'm not the savior. I, I, I'm. I have my demons as you have your demons. I struggle as you struggle. Uh, if you follow me, it will be like driving down the car with me, uh, drugged up, um, and uh, you know, heading towards our death. Mm-hmm. And uh, I say that because if you see the video, which I will post. Um, it, I'm not going to give much away, but it is shocking to say the least. And you're like, this is a Christian video. (laughs) Oh my God. But it's totally heavy metal, even though it's not, it's actually one of their more, it's more of a ballad ballad. Yeah. It's, it's definitely more ballad, more melodic, but it, but the video is heavy metal. (laughs) The video is totally heavy metal. That's all I'm going to say. You'll get the, you'll get what I just referenced after you see it at the end of it. Yeah. Um, the song that I am totally into, and it's one of my favorite uh, songs by the band Phineas. I've mentioned my love, just as Todd has his love of Demon Hunter, my, my love of Phineas. They are a Christian metalcore band. Um, 
and we'll provide the the link to the video, the music video, um, and the acoustic version because you'll probably understand the lyrics to the acoustic version better than the the full on version. But we'll post. Can't it. figure out why. Can't figure out why. <laughs> They're so articulate. And they clear. T- they tend to scream. <laughs> Uh, but the song is called Crowns, uh, and the theme of the song is, uh, you know, ultimately the rulers of this earth will bow down and lose their crowns because they'll bow down to the the one true king. Mm. Uh, but the uh, the first two, the first, and the, the guitar solo, and it always, always makes me shiver. Mm. But... Uh, the first uh, verse is draw your depiction. Scars, be- uh, stars become scars in the palm of your hand, bridged by blood. Your blood paints the paragon of unrequited love. Do you remember pain followed by reassurance, and the light shining through, bearing the poise of a redeemer, choking the shadows, defeating death. Mm. Uh, providence laid out before us, Father's arms reaching out. Reaching as the nations will hear a new song. As we are led to the water, the nations will hear a song, and we're led to the water. Mm, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, does that have a music video? It does. There is a music video. I can, we'll link it. We'll link it to the, to the, sh- to the, to the notes. That we figure, uh, I would love to get this music into our podcast, but that requires contacting these bands and, um, the, you know, maybe at some point we'll actually get a band that says yes or actually responds back, which would be cool. Um, but we get that they probably get a hundred billion of these requests at a time. And, you know, so I get that as a pastor, I get the need to, uh, selectively <laughs> respond to things and know what is, uh, you know, worthy of response and what could just kind of float away. And, um, uh, because we are always, uh, just in the office alone, we're always being bombarded with different people who want our time. Um, and I'm not talking about our parishioners or, or in your case, the residents, you know, uh, obviously they get our time, so we're not parsing residents or parishioners, but you know, we'll have groups call the ch- church and say, Oh, you know, we'd love to speak to pastor Todd about X, Y, and Z. And I have to think, is this the best use of my time or do I just let that slide away, float off into the ether and, right. uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. And often, often folks will be, uh, you know, in my line of work stuff, folks will be pointed in my direction because either number one, mm-hmm. other folks don't know how to deal with them. Uh, or number two, they have, uh, an issue that they want addressed and, um, more times than not, it's a non-issue. Yeah, yeah. And we can just redirect and find out what the concern is. Like, Chaplain Sal, we really need you to go up and, and evaluate this person. And you find out that really it's the social worker who ought to be evaluating this person, not the chaplain. Yeah, like this isn't a spiritual need. This is uh, something else. Um, so yeah, there's all those sorts of, uh, discernments that, that we clergy have to, uh, constantly be engaging in and discerning, uh, so that we make the best use of our time. And one thing that John Wesley, uh, to segue into our theological end of it, one thing that John Wesley would say is do not trifle your time away. Trifling your time is a part of total depravity. <laughs> so, ba-boom, there's a seg- segue into what we're going to talk about, um, so 
I think in this day and age, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Sal, but I think in this day and age, when people hear something like total depravity, I, I think they get turned off because it sounds so judgmental, so harsh. And we want to believe that this world is just, it's a, you know, what a wonderful world. Right. That Human was. Art. Humans are ultimately good. How can there be such total depravity? Humans are good. Right, we're good. We're Deep awesome. Down inside, we're good. We're good, and and you know, yeah, sure, we have the tendency to do, we do, we have a tendency to do bad, but but uh, ultimately we're good. And what a wonderful world. Okay, I won't do that again. I promise. Yeah, to uh, <laughs> to uh, to be clear, total depravity does not teacher mean that we are so totally depraved the total does not mean deep down to our ultimate core that we're bad to the bone right we're as depraved as possible and not capable of good what it refers to the total is the scope Mm. not the depth of our depravity but the scope of our just that there's not there's not one single area of this world in our life that is not touched by sin. Amen. Total meaning comprehensive. Comprehensive. Not yes. So. Uh, so let's start off on a basic level. How do we know that this world ain't right? How do we know that that depravity runs amok in the world? I almost laugh asking this question because all we have to do is turn on CNN or uh, Fox News or whatever your poison of choice is. Uh, And I think you see very clearly the depravity going on in the world. For instance, I got a text message from my daughter last night. Uh, I was sitting at the computer working on a sermon, you know, in a holy moment. And I get this text message going, oh, my goodness, there's a shooter in the town. Active shooter. Active shooter. Um, uh, Thankfully, uh, the active shooter never made his way onto campus. Mm -hmm. But uh, evidently, he went into a retirement community, blew away his parents, then drove off uh, leading the police on, on a manhunt. And uh, he ended up uh, slamming, driving his car into the side of his house, uh, getting out, shooting at his wife. And then I guess he killed himself is what I gathered from the story. A lot of the details hadn't been released yet, but totally depraved. Totally depraved. <laughs> um. Again, not meaning that this man was totally evil and there was no good about him whatsoever, because that wouldn't be true of any human being, uh, as bad as Hitler or as good as Mother Teresa. Yeah, uh, I've heard it said somewhere that even even Hitler would have loved little kids. Of course. So yeah, um, there's good as long as they weren't Jewish. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and that's really not a laughing matter, but yeah. No, it, it, the, the reality is is uh, we can look at the worst of the worst or the best of the best, but in all people, whether they're the worst of the worst or the best of the best or somewhere in between, there's good and there's bad. There's yeah. that capability for both. Right, right. So, Sal, to start us off uh, beyond what I started us off with, what, what, what comes to mind when you think of total depravity in the world? Uh, well, uh, comes to mind all those Methodists that say that I'm wrong as a Calvinist. <laughs> uh, but that was preordained, that was right? preordained. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
What comes to mind is, you know, in all actuality, us Methodists and Calvinists are not that far off on total depravity. No. Uh, I think you, both sides of the debate would agree that this world is totally depraved. Absolutely. Uh, John Wesley uh, would point to the same exact passages in Scripture that John Calvin would point to in saying that human beings... First off, John Wesley would would affirm that the world started off totally good. good. Um, Started off totally good, but then sin somehow, someway, somewhere, and this could be a topic for another day, but somehow, someway, somewhere, sin entered into the picture... Uh, due to a poor choice. <laughs> and uh, as a result of that, uh, we fell from total goodness into total depravity. depravity. So Wesley would say we started off as totally good, but uh, because of sin, uh, we have become depraved. Um, now, it's, Wesley didn't use per se, the language of total depravity tulip. In fact, one could argue that neither did John Calvin, that that was a, a way of summarizing what he was saying. Uh, but but yes, Wesley would affirm that we are depraved, we have original sin, um, but before original sin was original goodness. Right, and uh, <clears throat> Luther and Calvin would articul- use total depravity to articulate the idea that Sort of along the lines of August, you know, Augustine, the idea that the, the fall, you know, that one poor decision led to sinfulness. Um, that corrupted human nature, um, but it didn't corrupt the divine image, the, the Imago Dei. Right, right. Um, I think Luther and, and Calvin and... And Wesley would all probably agree that, you know, ultimately total depravity does not negate the fact that we are divine beings created in the image of God. Right. Absolutely. Um, And Wesley would go on to say, uh, um, so Wesley would actually say that we not only live in a world that is infected by sin, uh, because it is, but that... uh, that that sin, that infection doesn't just happen in the world, it's within us as well. That we have been infiltrated, infected, tainted, contaminated, whatever way you want to look at it, with sin. Uh, so, right. that leaves a very interesting question for us then, Sal. If, if we are inherently tainted by sin as a result of the original sin. And let, well, let's explain what the original sin was mm-hmm. for those of, who may not be familiar with it. Well, the original sin that we're talking about goes from the book of Genesis, early chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve, uh, Garden of Eden. Uh, and God said to, to Adam and Eve, who he created from Adam, this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, do not eat of that tree. Um, little, uh, Hint here, he never said it was an apple. <laughs> Just said this is the tree, the fruit of knowledge, from the tree of good and evil. You know, metaphorically, I think it was it probably the Da Vinci and those Renaissance artists that made it an apple. Absolutely. Um, so we'll go with it. We'll go with the apple. Um, and Eve, uh, tempted by the serpent, 
or snake, whichever image you want to use, you know, said, oh, no, you you should eat it. Find out, you know, uh, God just doesn't want you to know what it is. You should try it. And so Eve presented it to Adam. Hmm. You know, a lot of folks like to blame it all on Eve. Well, no, Adam had his role in it, too. He agreed to eat it as well. I would even argue that Adam had the bigger role because... Adam was created first, and actually, if you read the scripture in the way that it's written chronologically, Adam was told to not eat of that tree before Eve ever came into the picture, before she was ever even brought out of you know Adam's chest or rib cage. Um, she she was not there, so one might read into that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Adam delivered the message that we ought not to eat from that tree. And, and we see a breakdown in what God actually said. So God tells Adam, do not eat from this tree of the, the, uh, uh, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, for if you do, um, you will die. Uh, and when Eve gets the message, uh, she, she she here it's almost like a game of telephone right like so so the snake comes up to eve and says hey eve what's up and she's like nothing much (laughs) and and he's like well i hear that if you eat from any of the trees in the garden you're gonna die and she said well no that's not true uh we can't just eat from we the only one we can't eat from is the one in the center then we'll die and the snake's like, well, that's not true. You'll just become like God. And God's just holding that as a secret against you. You're not going to die. Um, so what we see is a, almost a trickle-down effect. Like Adam's understanding was directly from God. Eve's understanding was from Adam. And and maybe one could argue that she didn't quite understand. You know, she just was told not to do it. And the snake made a really good argument as to why this might not be a bad deal. And she went with it. But who was right next to her when she made that choice? Adam. Adam. And did Adam speak up and say, uh, no, mm-hmm. Eve? Um, of course he didn't. So, <laughs> I don't know. I think one could argue that Adam is kind of more culpable here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he let Eve take the fall for it, so I would say. Yeah, well, he did. And, and in fact, the first thing that happens is, uh, you know, he's hiding in the bushes because he's naked. Um. That's the other thing. People think that the original sin was sex. Like there, there's a, there's a there's an adult store named uh, Adam and Eve, as if like the, the the original sin was sex. The original sin was not sex. Folks. God, God explicitly told Adam and Eve to go forth and multiply. Right, right. So the original sin was not sex. Uh, the original sin was desiring to be independent of God. Ult- ultimately, to Seek the knowledge that God... Yeah. To be like God, to be able to determine for yourselves what's good, what's evil. Mm. And in in essence, you... you, To become self-aware. To become self-aware. And in essence, by doing that, you cut out the need for God. Yeah. And that's not what I think Adam and Eve were ultimately trying to do. Mm. uh, But that is the result of what they did. And John John Calvin would argue that the, the fall... The sinfulness that, like Todd said, the original sin is unfaithfulness. It's unfaithfulness. Yeah, unfaithfulness. A, a, a lack of fidelity, a lack of loyalty to God, to your Creator, to to your beloved, who looks at you as beloved. a beloved. Um, 
And so that is that is the original sin. Now, Wesley asked this question, and it'd be interesting to hear what John Calvin's answer is. Wesley's pushback against this original sin idea was not in the original sin itself. Are we depraved? Wesley would say, yes. But does original sin itself, is original sin itself, uh, does original sin itself consign you automatically to damnation? So I'll leave that question for you, and then I'll come back and answer it as from, from the Wesleyan point of view. Does, does original sin itself, like from birth, the moment we're born, we're born into sin, mm-hmm. uh, into a state of sin? Uh, not that we're sinners as a baby per se, actively speaking, but we're born into a state that if we carry out our lives to full term, be it 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, we will sin. We will sin. We will sin. It's not like if, it's a matter of when. So it's not that the baby is sinning the second it comes out of the womb. Um, And I've heard people say that, well, you know, uh, the baby, you know, after two months, it'll start thinking about me and wanting the bottom. No, that's survival. Your stomach's saying, I'm hungry. The baby has no other way of laying, you know, but crying. That's not a sin. That's survival. But over time, baby will grow into a... a free thinking individual that will try to do things to get its way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that over time becomes sinful and it grows as you get older and as you become more aware. So to ask that question again is according to Calvinism, uh, are people inevitably consigned to hell at birth for, uh, because of original sin. The <clears throat> short answer and the is yes. Uh, the the Calvin's understanding is that humans are inherently sinful, and that <clears throat> that knowledge of uh, you know Calvin says that the knowledge of God is knowledge of self, and humans inherently know that they are sinful. And uh, can not live apart from that sin, sinfulness. Um, and Calvin would say that the the only means of overcoming that is God's grace, which we see as irresistible. You know, you're like I always tell my wife Allison, you're you're like God's grace. You're irresistible. Ooh, Ooh. Nice pickup line. Oh yeah, I could become Calvinist just for that pickup line. <laughs> You totally should. Um, <laughs> which is essentially what that means is that the, the decision to overcome that sin is not ours. Mm. It's God's. Uh, so irresistible grace is that um, if God chooses you for salvation, which he does through Jesus Christ, you respond to that. Mm-hmm. But not till after God ordains that. And there's that question of if. And there's always that question of if. What if? If so, God chooses you. If, if God. That's if what God. that what that inherently means is God might not choose you. So that is that is the and that's often the critique of Calvinism is well, what if God doesn't choose me? Um, and my, the way that I explain it to people is, live your life as if you weren't chosen trusting that you were. Mm. Um, 
because ultimately that decision is not ours. That's God's decision. So I, um, and Carl Bart would take it a, a little further and say that, you know, God made that decision through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took all of that onto himself. Therefore, we are all chosen. And God... I love Carl Bart because he's like the perfect... He's the perfect in-between uh, Reformed and Wesley. It's like, well, I'm going to hold on to my Reformed theology, but I'm going to do it in a way that makes Wesleyan smile. Yes. <laughs> I saw some, some blog posts today that were, were postulating, well, was Bart really an Arminian? I'm like, well... Now he is reformed, but yeah. he explained it in a way that Armenians could say, yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, because I think Armenians, while they came up with an answer that wasn't maybe as considered to be as reformed as uh, other reformers would have liked, mm-hmm. um, they were in essence getting at the same heart of the problem that Bart does, but Bart just uses reformed language to answer it. Right. Because um, Bart ultimately has the same problem that Jacobus uh, Arminius had, which was... Oh, what does that say about Jesus? What does that say about God's grace if some are saved and the rest go to hell because God deemed it that way? <laughs> like, right. there's there's an issue there. It kind of it kind of it 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 makes Jesus' sacrifice arbitrary, mm-hmm. trivial almost. It it calls into question. Well, okay, well if Christ's sacrifice was for all, how can you limit that? Right, right. So. My question to you then, and then I'll get into my, the Wesleyan end of it, but my question to you is this. A baby is born. A uh, baby is born with such defects that it dies within a day or two, and it didn't have a chance to be baptized. It couldn't acknowledge Christ. Um, like, literally, the only way that that baby could be saved is if God said, eh, you're cool. How do how do how do Presbyterians, how do Calvinists respond to the critique that how can a baby who has done nothing wrong virtually except was conceived and was born to no fault of its own mm-hmm. be damned to hell simply because God chose that? And that is the great problem that we have with it and And that's unfortunately, uh, unfortunately for us Calvinist preachers, we have a hard time answering that because we, you know, what's the pastoral answer for that? Um, well, yeah, God may have chosen to send your baby to hell. Hmm. Um, yeah, that'll go over well. That doesn't go over well. It helps, helps with the grief, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> you know, and that... <clears throat> That at times has made me question my adherence to Calvinism. Um, what often I would do, especially in those times, and this was, and this affirmed my, because ultimately, that's God's sovereign choice, mm-hmm. um, whether I like it or not. Um, now, again, like I said, you can't tell that to a grieving parent at the bedside in the hospital, and often. Uh, I've done more emergency baptisms in a hospital than I care to have done mm-hmm. in my lifetime. What I would often explain to parents is, like I had mentioned earlier, Calvin and Luther would all both agree that baby was still made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. That baby still bears the Imago Dei. Uh, that is still the divine image. Mm-hmm. Um, 
your baby dying does not negate that. I am baptizing your baby in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knowing that God has already done his work for that baby. Mm. God has already made his choice for that baby. And we, we rest in that. I don't know what that choice was, but God has made that choice already. And you probably leave, I don't know what that choice was, right. out. Yeah. But, <laughs> you just hope that they're inferring whatever, they're, they infer whatever they infer from right. that. God has already done his work for that baby and welcomed that baby. Um, and that we baptize this baby, even though the baby doesn't survive, we baptize ties them because it's a, a sign in the seal that that baby is part of a bigger community mm. of believers. Mm. Yeah, so that is... Uh, so that, I don't know if that answers the question or not. It, it does, because what it, what it basically tells me is that, um, yes, Calvinist is committed to the fact that the baby might not be saved due to God's divine sovereignty. Um, but there's a pastoral way of handling that that helps the person put their trust in right. sovereign, the sovereign God's right. choice. And that's, that is our hope is our trust in the, and our hope in that trust that God does make that decision for us and makes that decision to right. welcome that baby. I would like to say to bring Wesley into this now that this is where Wesley and I think John Calvin branch off. I love that you're rubbing your tattoo. My, my tattoo is itching. Bad tattoo. Yeah, bad tattoo. It's telling you you need another one. Yeah. Um, so so um, here's, here's where I think John Wesley and John Calvin part ways in terms of their theology on total depravity. Are we totally depraved? Yes. Can we ourselves choose to not be totally depraved? No. We are born into this state, and apart from God, we have no choice but to live in this state, period. But John Wesley said, he, he basically asked this question. Are we, because we are born in original sin, are we damned to hell by that original sin alone? In other words, the original sin is something that other people did. Uh, we, we name those people Adam and Eve in the Bible. It's something they did, and now ever since, every human being that has followed has been in this state that was to no fault of their own originally. And so John Wesley would say, um, you know, uh, no, I can't say without a shadow of a doubt that God is holding us eternally accountable for what Adam and Eve did. But... What Adam and Eve did infects us in such a way that over time, the original sin becomes actual sin in our lives. Over time, if given, given time to grow and mature and become a full, uh, competent human being, that over time, the original sin that we're born into becomes our own actual sins um, and manifests in, in different ways within each human being. So over time, I may start lying a little, or over time, I may start lusting, or over time, I may get angry with somebody and murder them in my heart, or maybe I'll literally murder them like that active shooter uh, in the town that my daughter is living in. So I think what Wesley does there is say, look, just because you're born in a state of sin doesn't mean the that the grace of God doesn't still cover you. 
Um, the, the grace of God covers sinner and non-sinner alike. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And that, that yes, if you, have, if you are not guilty of sin, right. you're not going to be damned because of the state you're born in. So that would cover, in my mind, from a Wesleyan perspective, that that baby, if it dies, even if it never got baptized, God is grace. God is, and and it is God's sovereign choice to be graceful, you know? So, so I, I don't think that Wesley would deny God's sovereignty at all, Uh, but God, but Wesley's assurance was that God's sovereignty rests in God's grace. Yeah. I think... Calvin would agree that the grace right rests in his sovereignty. Uh, he would, uh, Calvin would agree that um, children don't necessarily inherit this in, inherit the sinfulness of their parents. Um, the grace lies with God. Mm. Um, it's just, I don't know. yeah, it's just it's just two different ways. I I I want to say that that Calvin would not be uh, telling a parent whose baby died unbaptized that, you know, sorry, your baby's in hell. Because for Calvin, he can't determine the baby's in hell any more than he can determine the baby's in heaven. In heaven. Right. Uh, and for, for Calvin, I think, and I'll let the Calvinists correct me if I'm wrong, but for Calvin, I think, um, it rests in who am I to say what God chooses. Right. I'm not God. Yes. Uh but I would imagine that Calvin's hope was that God is grace. Calvin's hope is that God is grace, but Calvin, yes, it's, it goes back to his idea of you know knowledge of self and knowledge of God, knowing that we humans are inherently selfish, and uh, the hope is that that baby is in heaven, but knowing that ultimately that, that determination, that designation is out of our control. That's in, that is relying on God's grace. Interesting. Yeah. So so there there I think you can see where Wesleyan and Calvinism are similar, but also they're they're different because these these subtleties, which may to some people seem like hair splitting, these subtleties do have theological implications uh, for sure. Um, and so Wesley, uh, while he is a believer in original sin and he does believe that we are totally depraved, though he doesn't use that language, um, we are, uh, not necessarily eternally guilty for what Adam and Eve did, but if given time, we will become guilty of our own sins, which stem from what Adam and Eve did. Yeah. And, uh. John Leith talks about in his book basic basic doctrine basically um, about depravity is that it's our greatest sin is our self-righteousness mm-hmm. and saying that we depravity leads us to say well we're not totally depraved we're, not, we're I'm so I'm better than that which then equates well then I don't need a savior because I'm better than that and this is where Wesley, this is the other layer that, I, that I'm leaving out uh, that I'll bring in now of Wesley. Wesley would say that apart from God, we're all damned. We're all damned, we're all damned apart from God. Mm-hmm. Baby and senior citizen alike and everybody in between, apart from God, we are in a state of sin and sin is separation from God. What Wesley would say is, God in God's 
divine sovereignty chose to cover us all with grace and gave us the choice to respond to that grace. Apart from God, we could not respond to God or or God's grace. It was God's decision to give us that choice, to give us the choice of choosing God or no God. Right. And that choice never ends. It never, ever ends, which is what's, that's why Calvinists ultimately have that joke about how uh, Methodists can lose their salvation. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, Calvinists is once saved, always saved. Uh, but it's the, the self-righteousness points us to the, our need of a Savior. And um, we cannot, a Calvinist would say, we cannot choose to respond to that Savior without the work and grace of that Savior. Whereas a, I think a Methodist would say, we're given that choice, we can accept it or not. Yeah. We, can, we can move on that decision. Mm-hmm. We have that will to respond Whereas, which is which comes from God's grace. Which comes from it God's sounds grace. like such hair splitting, but they do have implications. Um, yeah. Or the Calvinists would say, God's grace is the only thing that's going to move you to respond, not your own power. Well, and see, this is where we get into the hair splitting because Wesley would also say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Wesley would say that apart from God's grace. We have no willpower. <laughs> Apart from God's grace, we could not choose. Right. But God, in God's gracefulness, gave us the ability to choose. So it's still hinged on God's grace. I think Wesleyan would say the ability to choose, where a Calvinist would say the ability to respond. To respond. Yeah, and, and uh, Wesley would use the response language as well. Uh, but that, that ultimate ability to respond um well no you're you're right because respond means that if god chooses you you will respond to you it will respond to whereas it. if god uh in the wesleyan sense if god god's chosen us all in essence through jesus christ and that's people. the Bart, bardian yeah. kind of god has chosen us all through jesus christ and god gives us the ability to respond one way or the other. One way or the other. That's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference. Um, and and so, um, yeah, so there's that. Yep. Uh, so. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? This obviously all has implications for everything, everything we do. Um, it's not that christians think and this is where we i think we we mistake what what uh total depravity is it's not that we think this world sucks we're all screwed up and we're going to hell in a handbasket unless you believe the way we believe because even calvin i dare say even the people who did the council of dort Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh they would still say that a Methodist, an Armenian, heck, even a heretic heretic. could be saved. Of course, we were heretics to them, but (laughs) could be saved should God choose them to be. And it's not about having the right theology, not about having the right ideology. It's not about getting everything right. It's about God's sovereign choice to save you. Right. Uh, As one of my friends who is a staunch double predestination Calvinist would say, 
he has said, I don't doubt a Methodist um, whether they're saved or not, because if they proclaim Jesus as Lord, I have to trust God's sovereign choice. Amen. Yeah. So so it, it sounds like a whole lot of like, oh, can't these Christians just come together and get along? Well, we do, actually. Sal and I have a very good relationship together. We may get to ultimately the same place differently, uh, but we still arrive in the same place and we work well together. And I think uh, we learn from one another. I think there's a, a part of Todd that is Calvinist and a part of okay. Sal that is Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. Um, and But yet we operate, we operate using two different vehicles to get to, to the same place. And that place is uh, our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is Lord of all. Lord of, Lord of conscience, Lord of all, and uh, part of my requirement as a Calvinist working for a Methodist organization is my ability ability to at least uphold the the understanding, the Wesleyan understanding of how to operate. Which I can, oh yeah, I can affirm that. Whether I that's where I, how I get to the end point. I get to the same point that our our mission statement of serving folks so that they may have abundant life through Jesus. That's that's the end goal. That's the end goal. That's yeah. the end goal. Um, I can support the Wesleyan approach to that. I'm just going to operate from a Calvinist perspective. Right, which thankfully in this world is not as, uh, not as shocking as it would have been if you were doing this in the day of Jacobus uh, Arminius. <laughs> God rest his soul. God rest his soul. <laughs> Who would have argued that he was a he was a true Calvinist, and uh, the Calvinists of his day would say, uh, "No, you're not." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then the the idea of total depravity really, in a way, limits this discussion because total depravity, as it's as a term, is really a 17th century label, which was really flushed out in the 19th century. Yes. So. Um, if you were to go back in time, like Bill and Ted in the phone booth, and ask Calvin, he'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> he would. He, he absolutely would. Uh, and um, I, I would also dare say that um, we're we're, car- we're in some ways compartmentalizing in order to have individual discussions because you can't really have the talk about total depravity without the talk about limited atonement. Limited atonement, right? Um, I I would say, and this is another area, we'll, we'll talk about this down the road, but this is another area where Calvinists and Wesleyans part ways is Calvinists would say there's limited atonement. Some are elect, others are reprobate. Are reprobate. Others are not. Others are going to, to hell in a handbasket. Whereas, and, and Wesley wouldn't deny that others are going to hell in a handbasket, but what Wesley would say is not limited atonement but universal atonement. In other words, God, what Christ did, what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross was done for the entire world, but not everybody opts to, to accept that free gift. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody opts to accept that gift. So again, it still ends up with some are elect and some are, are reprobate, but it's how we get there. You know, like all are elect, but not everybody chooses their election, mm-hmm. even though they've been given the grace by the grace of God, given that choice, people still choose their way. 
ends in the same place, just a different way of getting there. So I think we've pretty much... I think we've we've uh, covered it as best we can without going deep into big hoity-toity yeah, theological yeah. terms. And that's something we don't want to do uh, is be overly scholarly. There are podcasts out there and books out there that you can read if you want the uber-academic approach to these things. What we're trying to do is take these uber-academic theological uh, ideas and to parse them down into palatable, easy-to-understand, or somewhat easy-to-understand language. If by the end of this podcast both of us can't be deemed heretics by our own denominations, then we aren't doing our job. Amen. And we both will be. (laughs) That's a given. Um, So... Yeah, so that I think that is going to conclude our discussion on total depravity. As you know, we polled you as to what you would really like to, to uh, discuss and and um, or would like us to discuss, and so this comes out of that. And because we got the most response out of total depravity, we went with that one first. There will be more. Uh, we're kind of going to go down Tulip and discuss um, the different um, the different perception between Wesleyan and, and Calvinism, given. Uh, uh, you know, between uh, the, t- the tulip thing. That totally didn't make sense. But what I am saying is we're going to talk the differences of Wesleyan and Calvin theology around tulip. Right. And just uh, taking a quick look at our that poll, uh, the next two... Are tied, uh, right? We're tied. But the next two popular discussion topics were uh, divine grace and divine destiny. So predestination and... Grace and grace. So we'll we'll have to d- discern which one we'll do first, and then uh, assurance, assurance we'll get in there at some point as well. So um, or what we might do is just alternate. Tweet you know, out another poll, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll tweet out another poll, um, or we could just go down that list exactly as is because it's like Calvin Wesley, Calvin Wesley. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, we'll figure that out. All the same, I want to thank you for joining us. I think this was an awesome uh, discussion, uh, Sal. So thank you for rocking out with me. Rock and uh, I'm glad to rock out with you. We, uh, Well, let's just say it. We rock. We rock. Yeah. Um, and so do you. Uh, and uh, so I'd like to invite you to subscribe, if you haven't already, to this podcast on partyonjohn.org. Also on... Also on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean. Yes, um, and, and uh, Google Play Music. We're not quite on Spotify yet. That is correct. Uh, this will be soon the to be on Spotify. Soon to be on Spotify. This will be the fourth episode. So by the next episode, we can actually. It's a silly, silly rule, but we can uh, actually submit our podcast because you have to have five episodes before they'll allow you to do it. You have to be five deep, and then it'll take them months to respond. Of course. Of course. course. So we will soon be on, soon relatively speaking, in other words, sometime before eternity, we will be on Spotify. And uh, I'd also like, uh, since I give plenty of shout-outs, uh, on the other podcast, I'd like to refer you to check out that other podcast, which is Life Giving Water. And sometimes Sal joins me over there for very, very special, episodes. very special episodes. Everything is very special when we get together. So that's at Life Giving Water Message MSG dot org. Um, so I guess that's it, Sal. I guess that's it. As we look at speaking of total depravity, we are being over. We've re, we're being watched by the. 
the casting characters of the haunted mansion. Oh yes, thank you. Yes, I forgot to mention. I that was told depravity right there that I forgot to mention this. But ultimately, I'm drinking. I drank. It's it's pretty much done. I drank my cup of Rev No Surrender out of a haunted mansion mug, and we were visited uh, by three happy haunts called the Hitchhiking Ghosts from the Haunted Mansion ride, including the Hatbox Ghost, which is uh, creepy. Mm. But he's kind of cute. And they glow in the dark. Nice. So I will, uh, I'll have to post pictures of these things as well. And I, I the Calvinist, was drinking out of a Methodist church coffee mug. So. <laughs> hey, here's the deal, right? <laughs> he's totally depraved. He may be chosen. And he uh, was definitely... Drinking out of a cross and flame cup. Cross and flame. So uh, here, here. Here, here. Uh, well, thank you again for joining us. Hey, Sal. Party on. Party on. Rock on. Rock on. Be excellent to each other. Be excellent to each other. Most excellent Theophiluses. Yeah. yeah. Adios. Adios. Bye.